I thank you for this word. Father, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Father God, that you would quicken me by your spirit. Lord, I just want to decrease. Lord, I stand out of your way. I remove myself out of your way. That, Lord, that you might speak a word that is in season that will bring great encouragement to your people. And, Father, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Amen. Today I'm going to be talking about defeating discouragement. Defeating discouragement. Although for many people this time of year, uh, Christmas is a very, very happy time because we get to spend time with family. We get to spend time with friends. And oftentimes Christmas kind of leads us to kind of take the focus off of ourselves. But we would be remiss if we didn't come to understand and realize that this time of year is not necessarily a happy time for everybody. Uh, There are some people that really struggle this time of year, perhaps because of loneliness and, you know, or uh, some failed relationship or some financial issues or whatever it is. And usually this time of year kind of remind us that there are other things that are much, much more important than just making money and gaining material things. And so usually this time of year, and, uh, you know, in my profession in law enforcement, suicides usually go up. And unfortunately, even for believers, that we find ourselves sometimes being discouraged and being defeated by discouragement. And so it is something that at some point that all of us are going to have to deal with. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not really uh, going through a period of discouragement right now. Well, that's good. Well, you know, down the pike, it's going to happen, and you'll be able to refer back to this message. Or you may find yourself in a period right now where you are, are struggling emotionally. Whatever the case might be, uh, this word today, I believe, will bring great comfort to you. Now, the thing that we got to remember about discouragement is that from time to time, every one of us are going to experience discouragement. Um, and usually, one of the things about discouragement that we tend to forget is that When discouragement, if you hang out too long with discouragement, that discouragement usually has friends. Does anybody know what discouragement's friends are? Depression, fatigue, loneliness, uh, unhappiness, doubt, unbelief, and even depression. And I can recall in some, and I have a relative who has been dealing with discouragement for many, many years. And who was very, very serious about her faith in the Lord. And this thing of discouragement came. And if you hang out with discouragement too long, what would happen to you, it would tend to drag you down into like a downward spiral. And then before you know it, you're getting, you know, self-pity kicks in. Then depression kicks in. And if you're not very, very careful with discouragement, what it will do to you, it will cause you to get so deep into depression that perhaps you don't even want to move forward. And there are a lot of people like that, even this time of year, that, you know, that are really struggling. And and believers, may I add, that are struggling with the issue of discouragement. And so even though we're going to have to be, have to deal with discouragement, the question is, and and the issue is that we don't want to spend a lot of time with discouragement. And why do we say we don't want to spend a lot of time with discouragement? Because discouragement have a whole lot of buddies. 
And we don't want their friends. We don't want self-pity. We don't want hopelessness. We don't want despair to come in with them because how many know the longer you walk in the spirit of discouragement, it's going to pull you down. And so, and, and I don't know what it is, but there is something about the human nature. How many of you have ever had what they call a pity party? Have anybody ever had that, a pity party? I've had that in my life. And there's something about the, the issue of discouragement that makes us from time to time want to kind of just kind of camp out there. You know, let's say you got some bad news and you're a little bit discouraged. There's something about discouragement that sometimes we find ourselves there and we just want to kind of hang out there because for whatever reason, we just want to kind of just feel sorry for ourselves. And when I think about the issue of discouragement, I think about people in the Bible who had to deal with this. I'm sure the Apostle Paul had to deal with it. Can you think of anybody in the Bible who had ample opportunities and so many different opportunities to throw in the towel and he didn't do it? Here, Paul is a, is a great man of God. God called him. Paul was, Paul was, you read the account in the scripture, Paul was oftentimes, he was, he was beaten. Paul, from time to time, was, was left in the middle of the ocean and, and nowhere. Paul went into cities. Uh, you know, that he was persecuted. His own people were trying to kill him. His life was constantly hanging in the balance. This man went hungry from time to time. He didn't have proper clothing. He was in cold. He was in exposure. But yet God had a call on his life. And Paul had ample opportunity to say, you know what? I'm not going to go any further with this thing. I'm going to throw in the towel. But Paul did not do that. In fact, you can read the accounts of Paul, and in Philippians, here he is, and he's a man who is in prison, and he's writing from the jail. He's saying, rejoice, and again I say, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, how was it that the apostle Paul, and then not only that, but that Paul had to deal with all that, but he also had to deal with all the care and all the concern for all the other churches. And a lot of times, Paul was not welcome. He was not welcome, and yet Paul was still able to stand up and say, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice. And so he kept going because he recognized that God had a purpose for his life. You see, discouragement is an enemy to the purposes of God in your life. I believe that it is the number one tool that Satan used to try to get you and I to throw in the towel in our lives. Whatever it is, you put a name on it, whatever it is that God calls you to do, what Satan, and, and you know, how I many know that Satan never ever changes his tactics? All Satan does is become a little bit more sophisticated, but he never ever changed. And so what he does is Satan wants to get you discouraged to the point that you will walk away from your destiny, your dream, or whatever it is that God has called you to do. As I was meditating on this message, I was thinking out. I wonder how many people have gotten right to the point of the threshold of their blessing. And then they threw in the towel and gave up because of the spirit of discouragement. I wonder how many people have lost their way because they did not recognize that it was an attack of the enemy to try to get you from, to, to stop doing what you set out to do. Whatever it is that God has called you to do. The reality of it is, is that the enemy wants to see us defeated. And so what he says to us is constantly, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to, to, to do this thing. 
That's why the Bible, why do you think the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight? You know why the word of God says that? Because he knows that some of the things that you're going to see is not going to match up with what you're necessarily believing or hoping for. That's why he says we walk by faith and not by sight. So we need to learn how to, to, to look beyond what we see and peer into the spiritual realm of what God has for us because I guarantee you Satan is going to come and he's going to tempt us with the issue of discouragement. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to start in verse number 3. And it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, the first thing that the Apostle Paul says in that verse is that God is the God of all comfort. And what that means is that that there is nobody on the planet that can comfort you like God can comfort you. In other words, we talk about the issue of comforting, and that, saying, that word comfort also means encouragement or encourager. It means to give strength and give hope to, to ease the grief or trouble of. That's what that word comfort means. And when it says that God is the God of all comfort, that means that God is the person that nobody in, on the planet specializing in bringing comfort to your soul more than God. And if we know that to be true, how come oftentimes when we find ourselves being discouraged, we start looking around to other people? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to to talk to other people and expect to be encouraged. But how many know that what I find a lot of times what we do typically is when we're going through a difficult time, we'll try everything else. We'll call this friend, that person. We'll do everything that we can to try to work it out. And then when everything else has failed, then we say, well... I guess I better pray about it because nothing else is working. Now, how many know that that should be the very first thing that you and I do when we find ourselves discouraged? The first thing that you and I should do is get on our face and cry out to God. Why? Because he is the God of all comfort. Nobody knows how to comfort us more than God. He is the God of all comfort. And so we need to learn how to run to God first in our trial. And in our circumstance, get on our face and say, Lord, today I am struggling with this. And God, I need for you to come and comfort me. I need, Lord God, for you to come and strengthen me in my hour of temptation. Because how many know that there are some things that you go through that people cannot give you a word of encouragement? Let that sink in a little bit. There are some things that you're going to experience in your life that no matter how often you go and look to other people, that not everybody will be able to comfort you. Some things, listen, you can only be comforted by God Almighty himself. You can only be comforted by, by, by going to him and, and, and laying out your heart before God. And some of us, we prolong discouragement. Discouragement is prolonged in our life because we're looking for somebody else to give us that word. And how many know that sometimes, no matter what happens, not everybody's going to be able to help you in your circumstance. There are sometimes you and I just got to learn how to run to God. 
And so what happens is sometimes we get in our trial and we go to this person and that person. Give me a word of encouragement. Do this and do this and do that. And God is saying, no, what you need to do is you need to come to me. I'm the God of all comfort. I am the one who will comfort you in your despair. And the second part of the verse says, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. One of the things that I love about God is that, I mean, that's sort of an oxymoron. I love everything about God. But God does not see the way that you and I see. You know, God sees the end and the beginning. How many of you play chess? Any chess players in here? And I never played chess. But one of the things, if you ever stand over top of somebody that's playing chess, usually you can see a little bit better because you got a view where you can kind of see the whole picture. But sometimes, you know, when you're playing, and I, I only know this because some folks have talked to me, not because I know how to play. But sometimes when you're playing chess, you don't really quite see that well because you're on the same level. And so you can't really see all the, the practical moves because you, you have to be able to see ahead when you play chess. Well, one of the things about God is that God sees ahead. God always sees the big picture. He always, we don't always see the big picture. A lot of times we get little snapshots here and there. And perhaps the reason why you are going through a time of discomfort in your life is because God is, is raising you up so that you can be a testimony to somebody else. Are you with me? And so what he says in his word here is that the same comfort in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others. And so you may ask, well, God, why do I have to go through this thing right now? God, I mean, why is this so hard for me? Because perhaps God is just like he's a master chess player and God already see divine. How many know that God already God is the one who's responsible for divine appointments? And God already see that down the road, perhaps another year, perhaps another month, perhaps another five years, that you, will, you are going to be expected to help somebody else who is going through a very, very difficult time. Who better to minister to somebody who had, who's going through divorce problems than somebody who's went through it? Who's better to witness to somebody who have lost a loved one than somebody who have gone through it? Why? Because you, listen, you had that experience where you had to run to God and God comforted you. And now what God expects is that the same comfort by which he comforted you, he expects you now to go and comfort somebody else. Now, some of us say, well, I I don't really want to go through all that. Well, what can I say? God is always taking us. Listen, the Bible, Jesus said this, that in this world, you will have trouble. Right? He didn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say it's a possibility that if you do everything right, just like I told you, you won't have any trouble. He said very, very plainly, he said, in this world, you are going to experience trouble in your life. The question is, how do we deal with it when we find ourselves in a moment of discouragement? Because trust me, it's going to come. The devil is going to come and he's going to he's going to put that on you. And you need to be able to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. And so God is always thinking about other people. 
And the next time you find yourself going through it, don't get discouraged. Listen, don't get so discouraged that you allow yourself to fall down into a deep depression because you're trying to figure out, why am I going through this? Perhaps the sovereign God of the universe knows that your life is going to be a testimony to somebody else who's going to have a similar problem. And because you've gone through it, you've experienced, you're, you experienced it, you're going to be able to help somebody else. Well, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 30, and we're going to be there for the remainder of this sermon. 1 Samuel chapter number 30 in the Old Testament. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Deuteronomy, then Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter number 30. And while you're turning there, I just want to kind of give you some history to what we're going to be talking about here. But you often hear me say that I love David because David was a man after God's own heart. Here, David was anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. Saul had heard about it. And so David now, for years, had been running away from Saul. He's been running from Saul because Saul want to kill him because Saul is jealous about the fact that he has been called to assume the throne. And so David is fleeing, and what happens is David gets so tired of running from Saul for all these years that David decided that he wanted to go over to the Philistines or, 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 Pal- or Philistine, however you want to say it. He wanted to go over there, which, were, which was outside of the borders of Israel, and he wanted to hide out there because he simply felt, and David thought, he said, well, you know what? If I go over here in the land of the Philistine, you know, Saul is not going to hunt for me. And that's exactly what happened. David goes over there, and when he goes over there, David establishes a relationship with King Achish. And Achish give David a land, so a piece of property called Ziglag. Now, David now, the, the Palestines were about to go into a war, and they were going to be fighting against Israel, who, who obviously is David's people. And they're going to be fighting against Israel. And David said that he was going to go with them to fight against his own people. Now, whether or not David was going to fight against Israel, you know, there are different theories on that. I don't know if David was actually going to fight against his own people. But David, at least according to the scripture, was willing to go and join Achash, the Philistines, in order to fight against Israel. But then some of the lords of the Philistines, they was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This boy is an Israelite, and he might turn on us, so we don't want him to go and fight. So, so you're going to have to go back. So now David now and his 600 men, because David had a whole bunch of men that were running with him, they ended up going back to Ziglag, which was a a piece of property in, in, in Palestine, and that they went back there and they camped out. Now, when they, when they go back to Palestine, they, they come up on a big surprise. And we're going to pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 1. He's coming back to Ziglag, and here's what, what's happening. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziglag and had overthrown Ziglag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept 
until there was no strength in them to weep. Now, David, two wives, had been taken captive, uh, Adonam, the Jezreitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. Verse number six, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Elimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this man? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, pursue For you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where there were were those left behind remained. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook Bezor remained behind. Now they had found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread and he ate and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece of fig cake and two clusters of raisins and he ate. Then his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drank water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant of the Amalekite, and my master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. Verse 15, then David said to him, will you bring me down to this band? He said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring you down to this band. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Verse 18, so David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. Now here is a situation of David who is now being, who is very, very discouraged by what he see. Here he is, David has been running uh, for many, many years from Saul, and now he finds himself over in the land of the Philistines, and he's out there to war, and Then he comes back to Ziglag and he looks around and he finds out that his whole family and all of their property is gone. Not only do they see that it's gone, there is absolutely no suspects. They don't know who it is, who took their family, who took their property. Can you imagine, men, if if you work hard all day long and you come home, you know, you find that your house is dark. The front door is wide open. There is no furniture in the house. All your property is taken, your cars. Can you imagine what that would feel like? I would imagine that all of us would be very, very discouraged and, and, you know, trying to figure out what is going on here. And the first point is that usually discouragement often comes when you're least expected. That's the first point. David had no way of knowing that his family was going to be abducted. 
And even in our own lives, we go through periods of time where things appear to be going well, and then all of a sudden you get that phone call. All of a sudden you get that piece of uh, 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 mail in the mailbox. All of a sudden you get some bad news, and then suddenly you find yourself being discouraged. And you're thinking to yourself, God, why me? What's going on here? What's happening? And as we said before, we understand and we know that we're going to have trouble in life. But how many know that we still ask those questions from time to time, don't we? We still say, God, what in the world is going on here? What am I supposed to do? Well, let's look and see what they did. The second point is that they wept because of what they saw. Verses 3 and 4, when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now, here's the thing that we got to remember. I know some of us men, we have been taught over the years that, you know, there's not good for a man to cry. I don't know if you ever heard that, but we, we you hear that sometimes. But how many know it's not being spiritually mature you know, if you don't cry when you're emotionally hurt. When you have a situation, David and his men, when they saw this situation, I mean, this was about as bleak as you can possibly get. And when you're going through a period of discouragement, it's okay to cry. You know, it's okay. I know for myself, I like to go and I like to get alone and I like to get before the presence of the Lord. It's okay to cry. It's okay to weep. But here's the thing that we got to remember that we don't want to stay there to the point that we don't move and do the thing that God has called us to do. Because we're going to have those moments. It's okay to cry, whether you're crying with a friend or, or whatever the situation might be or whether you're by yourself before the presence of the Lord, when they arrive on the scene and when they see, because not only was, did David lose all of his men, all of his family, his property, but all of the people that were with them, they lost everything else. And then David, he had to endure the blame. Now, I want you to get the picture here of David, this mighty man of God. I mean, these men, had, they had been faithfully with him for all these years. And now, not only has David lost his wife, his kids, and his family, and his property, but David now has to assume the blame because now they are talking about how that they want to kill him. Look at uh, verse number um, uh, 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David now, he finds himself with everybody is against him. The Philistines don't want him. They won't let him come out and fight with him. His family is gone. His property is gone. His friends, the people that he walked with all of these years, now they want to kill him. They want to stone him. And David now, he's sitting here in this situation. Everybody around him is crying, and everybody is upset. How many know that he's in a crisis? How many know that David now is in a real, real bad place? Because all of these men who were faithful, now they're turning on him. Now they're saying to him, David, we want you dead because you know why, David? Because we've been following you all of these years, David. We've been following you. And if it were not for you, David, we wouldn't be in this place. And there are some who, 
you know, who believed that David perhaps were outside of the will of God because he chose to seek asylum over in the land of the Philistines. And so you can imagine that David probably was dealing with some guilt. And how many of us have, have made mistakes? We've been discouraged because of our own mistakes, some things that we've done, and we're thinking to ourselves, gosh, I wish I could just go back and redo that all over again. And now everybody is sitting here and everybody is against me. I don't know what to do. I'm in a bad place right now. This is where David is. But then the scripture says in verse number four, I'm sorry, in verse six, the latter part of verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. As I said a moment ago, there are going to be those times where you and I are going to have to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Because there are going to be those times, let me tell you, if you haven't experienced it, there are going to be those times in your life where the only one that can help you in your situation is Almighty God. And David now, David has nobody. David is all by himself. The scripture says, look at this. The scripture says that all the people were embittered against him. It wasn't one or two people that were upset at David. David now finds himself, if you will, he's all alone. You know, he's sitting there all by himself. And he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do? You know, perhaps he was thinking, you know what? I'm the reason why all this happened in the first place, you know. God, I know, I know you, you have a call on my life, but God, my family is gone. Everything is gone. I mean, God, I've been running for all these years. God, I'm, I'm tired. I don't know what's going on here, God. These people now, they want to kill me. What am I to do? If anybody had an opportunity to quit, it was David right here. I mean, can you think of a more difficult circumstance to have to endure than where David is right now. I mean, he is in a bad place, and there's nobody that's with him. There's nobody there to pat David on the back and say, David, hey, it's going to be all right, David. You're going to make it through this, David. Just hang in there. Just hang strong. You're going to make it. There's nobody there. There's nobody there to comfort him. There's nobody there to, to read a scripted verse to him. There's nobody there to say, David, come on, brother. You're going to make it through this. David, now, he is in a very, very bad place. But let's look at how David deals with this issue. <laughs> David, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Here it is, everybody else. Everybody else is crying and everybody else is complaining. And David, while everybody else is upset and complaining about their situation, not really knowing where everybody is, where all the property is, you know what David is doing? David is on his face before God. And he's crying out for God to help him. He's saying, God, Strengthen me right now because, God, right now I am in a bad place. I need your strength. Now, everybody, nobody else is with him praying. But David, he strengthens himself in the Lord. And then David said to Abathar, verse 7, the priest, the son of Elimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought David, uh, the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band or shall I overtake them? And then God spoke to David and said, surely you would overtake them. Now, what is the difference between somebody that wallows in discouragement 
versus somebody that knows how to endure. See, the person that, that, the person that knows how to deal with discouragement is they still, no matter what, they run to God. And they keep on seeking God to give some direction in their life for what they're going through. You see, oftentimes what discouragement does is it gets us in that place where we become self, you know, self-pity kind of sets in. And then what happens is, you know, when you get when self-pity comes, usually what happens is we're not doing a whole lot of time praying. You know why we're not praying? Because we're so emotionally upset. We're bothered about our circumstance, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get out of that. And oftentimes, we're not careful. We're not praying. You see, everybody else up there, they're screaming, they're crying. Their sons and their daughters are gone. But David, on the other hand, David is on his face before God. The Bible said that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I can imagine that David had those moments of time when he remembered, you know, his past victories and what God had brought him through. You know, David had fought a bear one time. He had fought a lion. And obviously, David had had to fight Goliath. And David went through all this. And I'm sure that David had recounted all the things that he went through. And he knew that somehow that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, which caused David's response to be totally different than the other people. See, the difference between you and I really making it and, and getting beyond discouragement is our choice to say, you know what, I am going to keep seeking the Lord. I am going to lay this thing out before God, and what I'm going to say to you, Lord, Lord, I need for you to show me what you want me to do next. You remember the story in uh, 1 Kings, I'm not going to have you turn there, but in 1 Kings uh, uh, chapter 19, uh, Elijah a great, great prophet of God, Elijah, he had a, a battle with the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, Elijah got sick and tired. He was a prophet. Elijah said, look at here. He spoke to the people. He said, look at let me tell you something. He said, how long will you people halt between two opinions? He said, I'm getting sick of this. He said, do me a favor. Go get all the prophets of Baal because the children of Israel, they were all there worshiping Baal and, and doing all kinds of, worshiping everything but God. Elijah got tired of it. Elijah said, okay, he got all the prophets there. He said, here's what I want you to do. We're going to set here this offer, and we're going to put some food on it. And whatever God answers by fire and burns up the sacrifice, that's going to be the true and real God. So he said, okay, Baal, you go first. You call on your God. And whatever God answers, we, you know, that's the God that we're going to serve. So they all start cutting themselves and bleeding and yelling and screaming all day long, all night. God, God, they're calling out to their false God, but ain't nothing happening. Then Elijah comes up. Elijah says, okay, here, do me a favor. Before I call out to my God, somebody go get me some water. And Elijah, keep in mind, we gotta, you need some fire to burn the sacrifice. Because he said, whichever God answers by fire is a true and living God. So Elijah says, now go get, me, go, get me some, go get some water, and I want you to just dump some water all over this thing. And then they, they filled this thing up with water, and then Elijah called on unto God. It didn't take them, you know, all these hours like it did them. Elijah called on the God, and instantaneously, bam, boom, you know, the, the, the altar, the fire came, and it just burned up the entire sacrifice. And all the people yelled and screamed, and they said, the Lord, he is God. <laughs> and then all of the people, then Elijah said, look, now I want you to go and destroy all those prophets of Baal. So all 450 prophets of Baal were destroyed. Now, you would think Elijah, great man of God, just experienced a mountaintop experience. He just defeated all of these prophets. No doubt this man has the anointing of God and the favor of God on his life. And here it is when he destroys those prophets, Ahab, 
who is the husband to Jezebel, who was really kind of running the show, Ahab runs all the way back and say, honey, you wouldn't believe this, but that fool Elijah has killed all of your prophets. And Jezebel said, she said, you go and you send that man a message. You let him know that this time tomorrow, he's a dead man. You're dead. You're done. Now, here it is. You would think that a man who just had a God that answered with fire. (laughs) Come on. You would think that this man would be stirred up with a whole lot of faith. You know what he does? Homeboy runs. He runs. And then he runs over to a cave. And then God comes up to the, you know, God shows up with an angel. And God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, why are you sitting here? Elijah said, God, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this. I mean, God, I keep serving you. I'm all by myself. My people keep chasing me. God, I'm just sick and tired. He got so depressed. He got so discouraged. You know what he said? He said, look, kill me. I want to die. Now, how many know the brother had fell into depression real quick? Now, he just finished with a victory. And let me tell you something. It's, it's gonna, it happens in our lives that it comes so quickly. And here it is. You would think that this man of God would be a man of faith. Now he is standing there. He's gotten discouraged. And that's why, listen, that whenever you feel the spirit of discouragement come on you, don't hang with it too long. Get away from it because it will pull you down. If it can pull a man like this who just saw those great miracles down, how many know that discouragement is something that you and I don't want to fool around with. So God comes and says, comes to him two or three times, and each time Elijah says the same thing. He says, God, I'm, I'm tired. You know, all your, your, your people ain't acting right, and I, I just want to die. And then God just basically said, look, God don't even entertain it. God don't even have a discussion with him. He don't go, well, Elijah, tell me all about it, Elijah. I mean, how about, did they do that? To you? Really? Oh, my goodness. I had no clue. Like God would have no clue, right? God doesn't even do that. You know what God come and do? God comes to Abraham. God comes to him. God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to get up. I want you to get some food. We're going to eat because you got work to do. Wait a minute, God. I'm, I'm hurting here. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a bad place. I'm discouraged. What are you talking about? God comes to him through an angel. He says, get up. Eat some food because you got work to do. And by the way, I need you to go and I need you to anoint a king over Aram. I need you to anoint a new king in Israel. And then I want you to go get Elijah and anoint him over yourself. Now, what was God saying to Elijah? And I want you to hear me very, very carefully. Very carefully here. What God was saying to Elijah is the same message to you and I. That if you and I decide that we are going to wallow in discouragement, then you will stay there. And what, you know what will happen? And God will go around you and still accomplish his purpose. That's what he was singling. That was, that's what he was telling Elijah. Elijah, listen, because how many know that there's a time to weep? There's a time when we got to go through it. But God's message to us always, whenever you and I are experiencing discouragement, here's what God's message always is. Get up, arise and eat because I got work for you to do. Because God is not going to sit there. Now, he will comfort you. And how many of you know that God may even send you a rafter to try to deliver you? He, was, he may send a word to you, but how many know that you and I, we got to choose ourselves to get up from our discouragement? It don't happen by osmosis. 
And like I said before, oftentimes we find ourselves in that way and we just want to kind of wallow there. And it's a very, very dangerous place to be. We don't need to wallow in discouragement. And two different parallels because here you see David. David says, I'm going to strengthen myself in God. Now, depending on how you look at it, I would probably say that David had a a much, much tougher go at it than Elijah did. I mean, this man lost his family. He lost everything he had. I mean, he had all his people. I mean, it, was, it had gotten crazy there. But yet David said he strengthened himself in his God. But Elijah, here's the difference. He wanted to sit there and wallow in his depression and in self-pity and say, woe is me. And if you want to sit there and wallow in self-pity and woe is me, God will let you stay there. I mean, he will minister to you. I mean, you know, he will, I mean, he will give you, he may, he'll give you a word of encouragement, but how many know that you got to decide yourself, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to get up and I'm going to move on in God because God is going to say to you, arise and eat. I got work for you to do. The next point. <laughs> David, he, he sought direction from the Lord. He said to Abathar the priest, (laughs) the son of Elimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? What was David doing there? David realized, you know what he was saying? He said, I know this is hard, but you know he realizes one thing. I cannot stay here long. See, what a lot of people do is when they're going through a difficult time, they stop seeking the Lord. Because when, when discouragement sets in, like I said before, we get so overwhelmed with the emotion, then we start making decisions out of our emotions instead of making decisions based upon our seeking and God and listening for his voice. See, one of the things that we need to train and discipline ourselves to do is that when you and I are going through a very, very difficult time in life, when we're battling with discouragement, is to still know how to seek God. David says, God, okay, this is bad. Everybody is against me. I don't know what to do here. But God, I had my moment of crying. Now there's some work for me to do. God, what do you want me to do? And because David had that kind of attitude, David ended up recovering everything that the enemy had taken from him. Look at um, verse number 16. Verse 16 to 20 of uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 30. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread all over the land. Now, this was the enemy. This were the, this were the Amalekites. They had, you know, they had taken all of his property, his family, his kids, and everybody else's family and kids. And now they're over here eating and drinking. Because David sought the Lord, he went to the Lord, and God gave him a revelation, showed him where these folks were. They were eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistine and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from the twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on the camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives. But nothing of theirs was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. He brought everything back. And because David had this attitude of encouragement, you remember those same men who got mad at him and who wanted him 
dead who think talking about stoning him? Well, because David had a spirit of encouragement on him, those same people rally. They still get behind David. And they go and David ends up recovering everything that was lost. Why did David recover everything that was lost? Because David, he did not give up in his moment of his discouragement. And because David knew that his God was able and David took a step forward. You may not know where to go fully and completely, but you know what you can do? You can take one step forward. You can take another step. And you can take another step. And because David was such an encouraging person, those other people that wanted to kill him, suddenly they get down behind him. They want to follow him now, which begs the question, you know, how many of you like to be around people who are down and out all the time? How many people love to be around people that don't, you know, just always got, oh, poor me, self-pity? Now, I'm talking about those of us who aspire to be leader in the, leaders in the kingdom. One of the things that people will never, ever follow a leader who is constantly always talking about how bad everything is. It ain't going to happen. Nobody is ever going to follow. And here it is, David gives a shining example because he is such an encouraging man that he rallies these other people around him and he goes back and he gets back what the enemy has stolen. You see, if you and I are going to get back what the enemy steals from us, here's what we need to do. We need to get up and not wallow in our discouragement. And if we have that kind of attitude, then what we'll find is that things really not as bad as they appear. That God will begin to pull us out of that despair. Because how many know you're going to have to deal with it from time to time? But whatever you do, when you find yourself tempted, do not stay there with discouragement. You get it. It comes on you. You deal with it. You you cry a little bit. You do whatever you got to do. Seek God. Okay, God, I'm done with this thing. Now I'm moving on. And you go forth and you conquer what God has for you. Because you can do it. In conclusion, quick, uh, quick, uh, three quick things and I'm going to be finished. What do you do when you find yourself discouraged? Connect with people that will encourage you. I said before, you know, the Bible says in Proverbs that iron sharpens iron. And one of the things that you can do well to do is, obviously, the first thing you want to do is you want to get before God. I mean, when you find this thing happens to you, the first thing, get on your face and cry out to God. And then connect with people that will encourage you. You know, because one of the things that, that, that people like to do when they get discouraged is they like to hop on the phone, right? Call, call Sister So-and-so, Sister Betty. Then Sister Betty go call Sister, Sister Julie. And then everybody got a three-way going, and everybody's talking about, oh, how bad it is. And, oh, Sister, it's bad. Oh, I got one worse than that. And then before you know it, everybody talking about how bad it is, and ain't nobody praying, nobody getting delivered. What's happening is that downward sparrow, they're falling down, downward and downward. One of the things that we can do when you find yourself discouraged is connect with people that that are of an encouraging spirit. And then brings me to my next point. Become an encourager yourself to somebody else. Because as I said before, what does discouragement usually do? It causes you to look inwardly, to just kind of focus on you. And nobody likes to be around people that's that's selfish, you know. I I, I know this other person, I'm not going to say her name because she might hear this tape and it's a relative of mine. But she's always just negative. And I always say, she said, well, I don't know why people don't want to be around me. I said, well, come on, help me out here. I mean, every time you're with her, I mean, you know, and my kids know what I'm talking about. Every time you're with her, it's always, nobody treat me right. Nobody came to visit me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me. I'm sick and tired. And so, you know, when I get there, it's like, 
(laughs) It's like, I'm sorry. I just can't handle this today. Be an encouragement to somebody else. The Bible says he who desires friends must do what? Show yourself friendly. Show yourself friendly. Figure out a way in your own pain and discouragement, figure out a way to go encourage somebody else. I got this one uh, a pastor friend. Well, he's not pastoring right now, but he used to pastor some years ago. And he'll call me up out of the blue. He'll just say, now, I can tell this man is discouraged. I can hear the frustration in his voice. He doesn't even say it to me, but I can sense it. And he always say to me, hey, brother, I just called you to encourage you today. I just wanted to let you know that God is on your side. I just want to let you know that you're more than a conqueror today in God. I just want to let you know that, brother, you can make it, and I'm praying for you. Now, I'm sitting back. My chest is getting pumped. I'm like, I really like this guy. And what is he doing? He is sowing something that he expects to get back. And then what happens is the reciprocal happens. I start encouraging him. And before we're done, we're both yelling and screaming about how good God is and how he's going to get us through what we're going through. So seek to be an encourager to somebody else in your time of discouragement. And then lastly, stay active in what you're doing and whatever it is that God has called you to do. One of the things that the enemy loves to do, he loves to get us isolated. He loves to get us to a point that we just kind of stop. And he likes to try to freeze us from doing the thing that God has called us to do. And whatever that is. Whatever, when you, one of the things that settles you, and settles you down in your spirit is to know that when you go in through a time of discouragement, one of the things that helps you is that when you know that God has called you to do what it is that you're doing. And you always got to go back to that point in your life. Is this endeavor, is this venture, whatever it is that I'm doing, did God call me to do this? Because trust me, if you're not sure that you've been called by God to do whatever it is you're doing, you know what's going to happen in your moment of discouragement? You're going to quit. Because there's no conviction in your soul that God's called you to do it. And if there's no conviction in your soul that God has called you to do it, then when the storms come, you know what's going to happen? You're going to wallow in that discouragement. And then what happens is the enemy gets the victory. Because all he wants to do is see you throw in the towel and quit anyway. And discouragement is going to come in our lives. All of us are going to have to deal with it from time to time. And what we share today was the lesson from David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. When you do, when discouragement do comes, there's a way to deal with it that you can defeat it and that you can keep pressing on into your destiny. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that you are the God of all comfort, that you are the God of all strength, the God of all mercy, God. And I pray, God, that you would encourage everyone under the sound of my voice, God, and whatever it is that they're going through, Whatever it is that they're dealing with, God, you fully understand, God, whether it's a sickness in their body, Father God, whether it's a financial problem, Father God, whether it's a relational problem. God, I pray that you will bring comfort and encouragement to our hearts, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the example of David, Lord, how that David, in the midst of all the challenges, Lord, he was still able to say that it was well with my soul. And he continued on into the thing that you called him to do. Father God, we thank you for giving us strength for the journey. Lord, just like you gave Elijah, Lord, that bread that he ate and he lasted on it for about 40 days. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you're going to give us the strength that we need, that we can last for the endurance of, of the thing, Lord, and endure all things that you've called us to endure. And that, Father God, that we can be able to look back on this situation and circumstance and know that it was our God that did it. Because, Lord God, we are determined, Father God, to do that which is pleasing to you. We are determined, Father, to walk with you, Father, under all kinds of circumstances, knowing, Father God, that we already have the victory. So, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, and we adore you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's stand to you.